Chapter 8 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 A Search for Work. It was well Mabel had laid by every little amount of money she could spare, for now came the time she needed it. There were daily comforts required for Lily, which it would have grieved her sister to see her go without. Not only were the medicines necessary for the little sufferer expensive, but, her appetite having become particularly delicate, she must have suffered for want of nourishment had there not been procured her such wholesome delicacies as tempted her. It was about the fifth day after little Lily's accident that Mabel began to look about her for homework to do. She had heard too much of the niggerly prices paid for labor at the clothing stores to make application at any of them until other opportunities failed her and she made her first efforts among her old customers, stating the condition of little Lily, which prevented her remaining at Mr. Blank's. But those who had formerly employed her had now found someone else to attend to their regular sewing, and were not disposed to make a change in her favor. One or two of them said, indeed, that were she able to come to their house to work, they could employ her. But as they wished to superintend their work, it was quite impossible to give it out. Several hours of several days were spent by Mabel in these fruitless efforts. Then, resolved to leave little Lily no more, as she had done for this purpose, to strangers, she made application at one of the large clothing stores. Determined to go from one to another of these till she should procure work to take home with her, she was not so much disappointed to find this first application unsuccessful. Unfortunately, however, for the applicant, the busier part of the season had not yet fairly set in, and she soon saw that to procure work at all, she must take it at inferior prices. She had been refused at two or three places when she entered a store on Lake Street. She bore with her a written recommendation from her former employer, and she tendered this to the man who presented himself, as she had done at previous places. He glanced his eye over it. Your work may be good for some, yet not suit me, he bluntly said. I choose to judge for myself of work done on my goods. Have you work to give me? asked Mabel. If so, you can judge if my sewing suits you. A little more talk like this, interspersed with remarks from the man regarding the dullness of the season for work, resulted in his offering a dozen flannel shirts as a test of Mabel's abilities. How much do you pay for these? Mabel asked. I give one dollar a dozen, you finding the thread. Mabel was aghast. Her mind readily summed up the number of hours it would take her to complete the dozen, and perceived she would be paid but something like thirty-five or forty cents for her day's work. Yet what was she to do? She thought of the little sufferer at home, looking anxiously, painfully for her return, she thought of the absolute necessity there was for some money to be made, with such a trifle remaining of the little she had stored away, and came to the conclusion that forty, or even thirty-five cents a day, was better than nothing. I will take the shirts, she said, and perhaps, when you find them well done, you will be willing to pay me better for others? There was no response to this perhaps. I'm particular about my work, said the man, and let me have that dozen shirts just as soon as possible. Mabel left the store with the flannel, 
and hurried home to her expectant little Lily. Poor Mabel's so tired, said the child, as her sister bent down to kiss her. Her cheeks are as white as anything. Mabel's cheeks were indeed white. Her heart was heavy, her hopes seeming to fade out, for all misfortunes appeared coming upon her at once. One fact was staring her in the face, one prognostic tearing at her heartstrings. She was entering upon the downward path of the sewing girl. She was leaving behind her cheering work and cheering prices. She was entering upon that dreary, dark path of wearisome work and niggardly pay, which she had heard pictured by many who had trod it. She was beginning the battle for life, life for herself and her little Lily, to be snatched from the hands of the ruthless and unfeeling, the grasping taskmaster, the heartless employer of the poor sewing women. That evening, when little Lily lay soothed by the medicine which alone brought her entire ease, Mabel commenced her labors upon the dozen shirts. Hilda sat reading to her, till wearied by the employment, when she stretched herself on the sofa, half musing, half dozing. How long do you intend to work at these shirts, Mabel? she asked, after some time had thus been passed. Until twelve. I want to get them finished by Saturday evening. I'm sure it must be near twelve now, said Hilda. Only fifteen minutes after eleven, returned her sister, having consulted her watch. The precious watch, which had come to her through the hands of both parents. What a long, long evening! I mean night, Mabel. Why have it so long? Undress and go to bed, Hilda. You're trying yourself to no purpose by remaining up. Go to bed and leave you working all by yourself, Mabel? I couldn't do it. It's bad enough for you to be so pushed without being left alone at your work. I shall not feel alone, Hilda, with you and dear Lily in sight. I'm in better spirits than I've been all day, for I've calculated time and see that by sitting up tonight and tomorrow, the shirts will be done by Saturday evening and I can't believe but that this man will pay me better when he sees how well they are done. Now's the time my work would tell Mabel, if I was able to take such a place as you had to give up at Mr. Blank's. Mabel, after all my talk and boast, I'm pretty much the stone about your neck, and have been from the day I came to you. Don't talk so, Hilda. You're doing your best, and that is all anyone can do. You used to satisfy me that I was no great additional expense, Mabel, but that was when you were at Mr. Blank's. But how different all is getting to be now. If dear little Lily only could get well again. Not so loud, Hilda. You know she sleeps very lightly, and it would make her unhappy to know what a grave change her accident has made for us. I never felt as if we were to go on as we were doing, said Hilda after a pause. Not that it was anything to the comfort we had known in times past, but because it was so much better than many another. It is indeed, Hilda, and we have still many blessings to be thankful for. No want, my sister, no seeing of our darling Lily needing what we can't give her. Not yet, Mabel. And Hilda looked off into the obscurity of the adjoining room, as though piercing through the present to the darkness of a coming day. 
Do you believe, Mabel, she, after a while, added, that we are to be brought to such troubles as we hear of? I trust not, my sister. But whatever trial God sees fit to bring us, be assured, he will also give us strength to bear. That is, if we humbly look to him for it. As she ceased speaking, Mabel paused in her work, and, like her sister, looked off into the shadowy distance. If it were only thought of privation and struggle, she presently said, it would hold no terror for me. But alas, the hour of trouble is often the hour of temptation, too. The weak must go down before it, the strong only, the strong in a Christian faith, can bear up against the press of evils. You fear for me, Mabel? The question was so faintly put that but for the temporary stillness about them, Mabel had not heard it. Dear Hilda, can I help it? I know you for a good, pure-minded girl, but in the changed path which may be before us, others have stumbled who perhaps have started as fairly. And Mabel, if you'd heard much as I have of the cruel temptations put in their way, you would only wonder how so many have gone on steadily and honestly. But if excuses can be made for some, could any be made for me? No, Mabel, with such a mother as ours, and with such a sister as you, if there's any good in me at all, and you say there is, you should have no cause for uneasiness. If I could only see you stronger, my sister, in that trust which is the safeguard against all. You shall, you will see me stronger in it, Mabel. Look at yourself. Look at our poor Lily. Can I be with you and learn nothing of the goodness you are both made up of? There is many. Do you think her sweet patience is thrown away upon me because I don't seem to make much of it? If I'm the last to catch the goodness of our dear mother, the last to profit by the lesson she taught us, I'll still come into it yet. Oh, Mabel, can I forget dear mother? Can I forget you? I am glad to have had this talk with you, Hilda, Mabel said taking within her own the hand her sister, in her earnestness, had placed on her arm. It has relieved my mind of a mountain load. Let me know you always, as I know you now, my dear sister, and I shall have a mind at ease, whatever trial awaits us. You know that proverb of Solomon? The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Let us resolve that poverty brings to us no destruction, and it will hold for us few terrors. End of chapter 8